What if you understood more about your customer and were able to adapt to their needs and their demographics and where they spend their eyeballs and time instead of doing what you want to do? And once you do that, everything changes in your marketing. Welcome to the Outperform Podcast. My name is Scott Welly. I'm an author, speaker, and the founder of Outperform the Norm, a global movement that helps people achieve peak performance in their personal and professional lives. I've spent my life working with top performers in business as well as athletics, and each week it's my aim and mission to bring you an inspiring person to share their personal stories and insights, or perhaps it'll be a personal message from me, but with one very simple goal in mind, to help you outperform. Your time is precious, and I want to thank you for spending it with me here today. But just one small ask before we get started. If you find value from this podcast, the greatest way that you could possibly thank me would be to head on over to iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast platform happens to be and give it a five-star review. Also share it with somebody that you know that you would like to help outperform so we can all grow this movement together and strive to make the world a healthier, happier, higher performing place. Once again, thank you for being here. And without further ado, let's get started. <laughs> Philip Stutz, welcome to the Open Forum <laughs> Podcast. How are you? I love it, man. I love your mission. This is an honor to be here. So thank you. Thanks a lot for being here. You are going to get the first question that I always ask to all of my guests. When you hear, hear the word, what does my wife complain about the most? Well, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, we'll get to that maybe at question number two. But the first question uh, okay, is, good. when you hear the word outperform, what does that mean to you? And how do you define outperforming in your life? Yeah, such a, such a good way. Um, I love that, that you start your show off that way. And I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. Um, and, um, you know, for me, uh, it's, First of all, I, I guess I have to give a context in this. There's no easy answer with me, so I apologize in advance. Um, I'm 47 years old. And until I was 39, uh, there's nothing about outperform. I mean, I write a whole book about what I did in politics, but personally, in the way I felt about myself, there was no outperform. Um, and I went to a Tony Robbins conference in uh, 2015. Which one did you go to? Uh, well, I did a lot of them in 2015. The one that really oh. rocked me was Business Mastery, which was uh, his business uh, course. But I've done Date with Destiny twice and UPW and all these others. And anyway, but... Um, Very cool. Nice. Yeah. But uh, I went to it and I realized that I had lived my life without purpose, uh, that I was checking. I was talented at what I did, but I really didn't care. And I, when you don't live with purpose and you're not doing, you know, what really motivates and drives you, then you're probably not serving people the best way possible. And, and I'd wrote down in my notebook at that conference that the number one factor for my life going forward was going to be growth. So to answer that question, it's constant and never ending growth. Um, we have two values at all of my companies. Uh, it, we don't have big mission statements on walls and we don't have feel good stuff that is fake. Uh, it's just give and grow. Mm -hmm. So outperform to me means give more than you take mm -hmm. and always be growing. And th literally that's our, that's our motto at our companies, give more than you take and always be growing. Yeah. And if you don't, 
embody those values, that's okay. You just can't work here. <laughs> so yeah. uh, for me, the reason that those values exist is because it was everything I was not from the majority of my life. And I had a choice um, and we can get into the health aspect, but it, it started back in my, with, with my health a few years before that. And it just came to a sort of a, a head in that moment. So when you look back at the early version of Philip and you say that there really wasn't outperforming for you and now with your mission of to give and to grow, did you feel like you were taking more than you were giving or you weren't really growing? Like which one were you lacking in or was it both? Yes. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> yes uh, all of it. Uh, you know, um, I would tell you that I was the worst kind of narcissist, um, uh, if you really want to know the truth, uh, Scott. Um, the, there's the narcissism that's like, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, look at me, look at me. Yeah, I wasn't that guy. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, I took credit for everything that went right and I blamed everybody for everything that went wrong. And you can imagine if you've ever, if you're, if you have a boss, if you're listening out there and you have a boss that does that, that was me. Mm -hmm. uh, you can imagine what that was like to be married to. You can imagine what that was like to be, uh, you know, to be a kid, you know, for my child. You could imagine what that's like to work for that. Um, it was, it was pretty detrimental to relationships and to my own really psychology. I mean, really on the self-love side, yeah. it's still something I work through every day. Uh, but it's the, you know, what I'm trying to learn is how do I love myself? And I, and I realized that all those behaviors came from really just not loving myself. Interesting. So before I even get into your bio a little bit more, I am yeah. very curious on this. So, I mean, would you define going to business mastery in some of Tony's seminars back in, what did you say, 2015 as yeah. a life-changing moment for you? And I'm curious how you got to the point from being such a self-proclaimed narcissist yeah. to actually taking that step to saying, you know what, I've got to do some work on me because I think for a narcissist, you've got it all figured out, you know, whatever. I don't need any of that woo woo, Tony, positive psychology stuff. So how did you get to that point that you well, actually- Well, you don't, people don't make change until the pain is too big. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it, I, I still do that. I've done that recently, right? I didn't make a change I needed to make in my own life because- until the pain got too great for me to, to handle it. And we do this every, every one of us does this. Um, I did that. The, my, my sort of rebirth was that business mastery in January of 2015. But at the end of 2015, I went to date with destiny, which if anybody knows what that is, it's a six day conference. It's 16 hours a day, uh, Tony Robbins event. And it's, it's a deep, look into yourself and your psychology. And my wife went with me. And if you've never been or don't know anything, they actually split you up. They put you in teams, but you're not with your spouse. If you take your spouse, you, most people go alone, but my spouse and I went together mm -hmm. and we were in the fifth day and it was about two in the morning. And this realization hit me after peeling the onion of my existence day after day after day that all of the problems in my life were because of myself and I had put them off on everybody else, including my wife. And I'll never forget coming to this understanding at the exact same time. My wife came to this understanding, Scott, where like literally she's standing on her chair in front of 2000 people screaming freedom. 
And I'm literally going, how do I go into the corner of this room and get in the fetal position and just suck my thumb? And I make a joke, but it was the lowest point of my life because I realized that all the problems were caused by me, not by anybody else. And that was the point, literally that, that was the point of my, the pain being so great that I had to make a change because we were going to get divorced if that wasn't going to happen. And marriage is not easy. Um, I, I'm dedicated and loyal and love my wife, but anybody that sits there and tells you how easy marriage is not, it's hard because you, you have to be in a marriage that grows. Both people have to grow. They grow into different people. How do you love and respect that growth of that person that may not be something you're used to or normal to you? And that has to happen over a lifetime. And if it doesn't, then ultimately you're going to have an unhappy marriage. And so I'm just kind of committed to that. Um, but that was that moment. I'll, I'll never forget. Oh, man, that was that was as painful as it, as it ever, has ever gotten for, for me psychologically. Well, I mean, good for you for doing that. I understand how difficult that is. Um, you know, we won't go too deep into my story because I think a lot of the audience already knows it, but I lost both of my parents in the last four years. And I think just going through that process and losing them relatively young forced me to do a little bit of introspection on how I've arrived at the person that I am and how, good how, and the bad. And when you don't, when do you don't have somebody to turn to like a parent, how do you, what do you do now? Turn to my girlfriend, turn to friends, turn to my brother, who's a priest. Oh, that's good. But it's got to be hard too. He's my brother first, priest yeah. second, but he's, he's, he's the, he's the overachiever brother, he's, right? He's the overachiever, but he's <laughs> my kind of moral and ethical yeah. compass. Um, you know, and it's just, he's, he's been a tremendous blessing throughout this time to just help me kind of understand some of my flaws and some yeah. of my weaknesses that I can improve. And, Sometimes when I should give myself a little bit more grace, but I think that process of introspection and just growth is, is so key. So I'm actually do, really do glad. You feel, that. Do you feel a void without your parents around? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, yeah. it's a void that all anybody that I think has lost their parents says that there's always going to be a void. And it's not like that's, that's a bucket that never actually gets filled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if void is even the right word. I mean, I still, you know, I think about them every single day and they're, they're not coming back and it is what it is. But the longer that they've been gone, the more I think not in terms of woe is me and why am I one of sure. the only people my age at 41 years young and right. at the time that they passed 36 and 37, why am I the only person at this age that has lost both of their parents? Right. I, didn't know any, I didn't know a single other person that had been in my situation. So there was a little bit of the woe is me card. And now sure. I try to pivot more to carrying on their legacy and some of the lessons that they've taught me. Um, but I'm supposed to be interviewing you on this podcast. Yeah, I know. Sorry, I'm, I'm curious. So I apologize. <laughs> anyway, I want to tell the audience a little bit about you, even if it makes you feel uncomfortable. And I'm going to read just some parts of your bio. And then we're going to jump into a couple of points that really intrigued me. So you are the best-selling author and the host of the Undefeated Marketing Podcast. You come from the cutthroat world of political and corporate marketing. And you have been described as a marketing maverick that reshaping business success using the secret formula that gets presidents elected. You've been interviewed by some pretty heavy hitters that's impressive in business, entertainment, and health, including Anderson Cooper, Gary Vanderchuk, Peter Diamandis, Michael Hyatt, et cetera, et cetera. So 
that is only part of your bio and you've obviously yeah. done some really, really impressive work. But one of the questions that I want to ask you that I've always been so intrigued by and a big picture, I'm always intrigued by just the study of human behavior and why yeah. we do what we do. And especially from a leadership perspective, I am very interested in why we follow certain people and why we don't follow others. So when I see that secret formula that gets presidents elected, can you talk to me a little bit more about what that is? And um, I'm just curious to hear more about it. Well, my background is I've worked on pres- I've worked on political campaigns and a lot of presidential campaigns for 25 years, and um, I've, I've been a part of 1,407 election victories. Now, I want to forewarn the audience: um, I'm not here to talk policy or right versus left or Trump tweets or Biden. I don't, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what gets these people elected. Um, maybe I'm a shark in that sense, right? I'm a hired gun. Uh, but I, I love, I, I think politics is probably the most innovative uh, place in the world to market um, a product, which is the candidate, because we have an election day every two years, we have a winner and a loser. And if we don't win, I'm out of business. And so it forces massive innovation. You know, when I, when we market, uh, we, we have a separate marketing company just for, com- you know, for businesses and corporations, and we do small businesses and startups and fortune 200 companies. But, um, when, when, you know, we talk to them, they, they talk about, well, we have quarterly goals and, um, you know, and in, in two quarters, we're going to start looking at this thing. Like in politics, it's like, dude, we got nine months. We got to raise $2 million and we got to win this election or we're out of business. Mm-hmm. And when you are forced with that kind of deadline and that kind of win or die mentality, it just forces you to innovate like crazy. And so it's sort of what I'm obsessed with. And so because of that environment, Scott, the it forces all of us to, you know, like I'm going mano a mano with other candidates and other marketers out there. Right. And it's, you know, I, and I write in the book um, about how sports teams use this formula to win championships, um, you know, presidential and political campaigns use it to win campaigns. Uh, trial lawyers use this exact formula to win, um, to win court cases. Doctors use it to cure diseases and treat patients. It's, it's this ubiquitous five-step system, except the one, organi- one uh, place in the world that doesn't use it are corporate marketers. And so when I noticed that, I just said, man, I've got to introduce this to the, corp- to the business world. And since then, I mean, we've just been a rocket ship and, and we've grown every company we've worked with. And it's not just, I'm not sitting here bragging about it. It's the system. It works. Um, and it, it, you know, you talk about high performance or outperform, like this is exactly what the system does because it focuses on the other people and rather than self-focus. So what I mean by that is let's just take politicians. Uh, if a political candidate sits down with me, let's say they want to run for the U.S. Senate in Colorado. Um, and I, they, uh, I say, Hey, what do you, you know, let's say I talk to this candidate and I say, you know, to him, like, what do you believe in? And, and inevitably the egotistical politician will tell me like, I believe in 25 things, you know, and they'll give you 25 policy issues and you go, Oh Lord, no voter wants to hear 25 things from you. They can hardly 
contain two issues, right? Yeah. And so you go, okay, cool. And you take those 25 issues, but then you take it and do a poll to the voters. Now it's much more sophisticated than that. And it's not the kind of polling you see on Fox News or, or CNN or something like that. It's literally taking those 25 issues and finding out what of the, which one of those issues rises to such a degree with the voters that they would cross party lines, they'd vote for an unknown candidate, whatever it is, they're so passionate about that issue that you know that you have an alignment. Your candidate already believes in it and it's super passionate for the, for the voter. And this is our step one of our process, by the way. So um, at that point, I sit down with the politician and I say, great, you love those 25 issues. We just pulled those 25 issues. Your voters only care about two of them. So guess what we're gonna do for the rest of the campaign? Focus on those two. We're going to only focus on those two. We're not going to focus on the other 23. Uh, they may you know, be brought up and you can answer questions on them, but we're not talking about those. Why? Because you're trying to find empathy and connection with the voter, right? And so when we talk about this in the corporate marketing world, it's the same thing. I can't tell you how many business owners come to me and they, they all say the same thing. Uh, they say, well, we ran a bunch of Facebook ads, nothing worked. We fired six marketing firms. Uh, we can't figure out what's going on. And I'm like, well, hold on. First of all, uh, and again, this could be a metaphor for anybody listening out there. It doesn't ha have to be for business, but the, the marketing game in the world of business today is 100% rigged against you. It's 100% rigged against you. How so? Uh, the The companies that describe themselves as data companies are the ones that win the game every time. So you, you know, we, let's say you own a pest control company. Are you a pest control company or are you a data company that also serves pest controls? So what do I mean by that? Let me give you a couple examples. Um, uh, I actually have, I talked to a guy that sold baby products on Amazon, built a business. Uh, he's doing $8 million a year at selling baby products on Amazon. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, uh, his cheaper competitors uh, came together and decided to one star all of his products and, and start a campaign to one star all of his products. So a guy making $900,000 a month all of a sudden went down to $90,000 a month on Amazon. I, when we sat down with him, I said, well, well, hold on, what did Amazon do? I can't get a human being at Amazon to help, to help me. And I said, how much of your product are you selling on your own website? And he said, we sell nothing on our own website. And I said, great, you're not a data company. You're renting your buyers from mm -hmm. another platform. Mm -hmm. He can't do anything about it. And he went from, he literally, it's the reverse 10X. He reversed it yeah. because the game was rigged against him and he can't do anything against it. Another example, this is, this is even crazier. We work with a... Um, with a back uh, a criminal background company that like you know like the McDonald's or the Burger Kings of the world have so many employees they hire that they need criminal background checks on all the employees they hire across the country so they hire this company it's one of like top 5 criminal background check companies in the in, in America and they came in and they said help us and we started working with them through looking at their customers data and then we, my guys noticed and said oh they got a big problem i said what they said they've been paying for SEO keywords on Google for the last three years, but two years ago, Google changed their rules and they didn't know it. And they've been bidding on keywords against themselves and upbidding their own words and paying an extra $10,000 a month for 24 straight months because they didn't know the rules had changed. 
and this is this is not a unique story. I, every day I hear stories from th similar things like this from business owners. Yeah. And so my thing was I wrote a book uh, to round this back up. I wanted to take the rigged game of marketing for business owners and I wanted to unrig it and show how a business owner using this high performing uh, systematic process could win the game of marketing. I mean, um, uh, I, I had this, uh, I was thinking about this the other day and I wrote down like the companies that successfully market today aren't by accident. They use a systematic approach. They don't treat it as a hobby, but as a professional systematic application. You could say the same thing. Uh, let's just talk about you took this psycho, you know, in your bio, you talk about the psychology class like that you took, right? Uh, if, if you followed my five step system and you did and you didn't even know it, I can walk you through how you use the five step system to change everything for you. You want me to do it? Sure. Okay. Why so, do you want to give everybody know the story that, that's listening right now on on this? Uh, I don't you know. Want to give any background? Let, but let's just go to it. Let's educate them. They probably don't. <laughs> so, t tell them like you you were a bad student, and then you woke up one day and said no more. Right? Mm -hmm. Maybe the pain got too big. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually, I don't even know if the pain was too big. Who knows? But yeah, I just woke up one day, junior year, University sure. of Wisconsin Madison, and just decided I was tired of getting C's and tired of being average. Right. Because if you looked at the data of your academic history, it was average. Yeah, it was crap. Right. So that's step one is to understand the data and what does it say? Step two is to put a strategic plan in place mm -hmm. based on where you want to go and what you want to do. What's the alignment between your values and where you want to go? So for us, that's the same thing that we work with the businesses. We want to know what their customers think first. And then second, once we know what the customers think, we want to find alignment between the business owner's vision and the customer. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the third step is for you, you probably had, we, we, this is where we call the branding side. Uh, this is where you get your brand right because you don't want to send it in the business side. I'll get back to you in a second. On the business side, you don't want to send somebody to your website if it doesn't speak to the customer. Like, why would you pay money to send people to a website that doesn't speak to them and then they click out of it? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a great stat uh, by CompuWare. It says 88% of all consumers are less likely to come back to a website. They have one bad experience. It's the same thing. For you, branding is a little different in that regard. You went, all right, I got to get my brand on point. That means I need to get up early, maybe not drink as much at night. Uh, I need to study. I need to take a shower in the morning. Like you're getting your brand on point, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So step four for, for us in the business side is uh, now that you know what your customers want, now that you have a plan that shows the alignment with between your vision and the customers, now that you've built the brand the right way, you go test all the messages that you found in, in your data and your customer data to figure out which one rises to the top for you. And you're in this particular class, I'd imagine you probably did a bunch of different studying techniques to figure out how you could be, get better. Maybe you study in the morning, maybe you studied at night, maybe you you took note cards because we're old and we use note cards back in the day. But whatever it is, you probably tested a bunch of different ways to figure out what was going to work for your brain so that you perform better in that class. It's the mm -hmm. same thing here. We we don't test 
a bunch of random messages. We test what we know the customers already want and we figure out what rises to the to the top. And then the final step in the business side is now that we know everything, we've eliminated all the risk of the business owner, we're ready to launch out that marketing campaign, right? We know what works, we've eliminated all the risk and we're ready to go spend the money and send people to the website and start converting customers for you. Now that you know it works, you start getting good grades. Like you, you start performing well on tests. Like you went through a process and ultimately you got great grades. And I can, if you want, I can even go through how it works in sports and all that stuff, but it's the same thing. And so inherently we all kind of work through this process together. Um, and, and I'm just kind of bringing it to the forefront of the business world. How did you, or I mean, so this is obviously a, oh, let's just call it a universal process that can apply to so many different contexts. Mm-hmm. How did you arrive at this process? Well, it is an inherent process that we all kind of utilize, but we don't spell out. And so even in, in the world of politics, when I wrote this book, I can't tell you how many people in the political world, marketing world reached out to me and go, yeah, it is what we do. I never thought about that. You know, like so many people. And the reason it came to me, uh, well, here we go. I'm going to tell you another failure. You ready, uh, Scott? So um, hey, one, of, few- one, of, one of the outperforming lines is there is no failure. There is only feedback. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a big. You can fail at something is to make a mistake and to not learn from it. So that's right. I love hearing about the feedback that you've gotten in your life. Go. I love it. So I, this is a big feedback. Um, yeah. So we were uh, when we started our corporate marketing agency many years ago. We were employing a lot of these tactics or the a lot of these steps, but not in a systematic process. And we ended up getting the our first biggest client or one of our first clients was our biggest client. It was a. Um, eight-figure supplement company that was on the verge of being nine figures. I mean, they, they were a massive company spending tons of money and they hired us and they said, we love uh, politi- like the way that you approach this with political campaign knowledge and we think that would work for our business. And so we started working for them, started having pretty good results for them. And then one day they said, we want you to run an Instagram campaign for our highest selling supplement. And we said, awesome. And we went out and our creative team went out and did a photo shoot with this bottle of the supplement. And we mocked up the, the ad and we sent it over to the owner for, for his approval. And he called us and said, what in the world are you guys doing? And we went, what? And he said, you don't understand my business. And I said, what, what are you talking about? And he goes, I have spent 10 years uh, or five or six years. Sorry, Instagram wasn't that old then. Uh, he said, I've been spending five or six years working on the organic algorithm. So even my paid ads get organic you know, um, viewership. And I've spent five years mastering this algorithm. And if I post a picture of anything without a human being on it, it would collapse my algorithm. One post, you almost collapse my business. How do you not understand that? Wow. And I went, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I was like, dude, we will totally make it up to you. Uh, let, let me get with my team. We'll come back to you and, and I'll be back in touch tomorrow. He goes, cool. I'll talk to you then. That was the last time I ever talked to him, Scott, because he ghosted me. And he ghosted me because I didn't understand him. I didn't understand his vision. I didn't know what worked for his company. I was just throwing these political things out um, in an unsy- unsystematic pro- way. And so I literally locked myself in my office and I, I, for like two weeks, I just kept writing down this question in a notebook because I still write uh, long form, longhand. 
and I wrote down wh what is what is it that we do in politics that gets presidents elected, and how are we applying this to businesses, and what am I you know what am I getting right, what am I getting wrong? And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote, and then I've realized here's the five steps that we use to elect a president, a U.S. senator, a governor. And then I literally went, oh my God, this is, there's no systematic approach to marketing in the, in the business world. Why, this, is, this is it. This is something that's totally unique. So then I, I went out and called all of my team and got them together. And I said, from this point forward, all of our clients will be following the systematic approach. Now, they were like, are you crazy? Because the clients are happy with what we're doing, other clients that we had. Why would we change everything we're doing? Like, they're going to fire us. And I said, if they fire us, they fire us. But we've got to go prove this because I think it's going to work. I absolutely believe it'll work. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the impetus for the book, because after five years of utilizing this over and over again, we've seen every single client grow their bottom line, everyone. In fact, we have three clients in our portfolio right now that just had the best months in the history of their company because they're following a systematic approach to marketing and they're never caught off guard when the rules change by the, by the social media platforms. Yeah. I love that you shared that story. I mean, I, whether we're talking about a sports team or a business or yeah. us, I mean, anything else, I always say you learn so much more from your losses or from your failures, let's say, than you do from your successes. So the interest- It sucked, by the way. That was a that? sucky moment, but I, it was oh. a needed moment and one that I'm very, like, I'm standing here today because of that sucky feedback. <laughs> you, yeah, you wouldn't be standing here today without that. So yeah. it's just, it's such an interesting way to look at it. And it's, you know, sometimes you got to embrace the suck. And even though it does suck at the time, it's going to lead to God willing something better down the road. So, but let me, let me, let me share one thing with you and then you can jump in anywhere you want to go. Mm -hmm. um, according to Forbes, right? Uh, we are American consumers right now are seeing up to 10,000 ads a day online and offline. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. 10,000 ads a day. So if you're a consumer, it blows your mind. Then the more you think about it, you go, oh yeah, kind of, kind of true. Right. And then if you're a business owner and you're like, I'm really not committed to my marketing or we don't have a systematic approach and you're trying to break through the clutter of 10,000 ads a day, mm -hmm. you're done. This is why the game is rigged against you. And, you know, um, uh, you know, I, my whole thing is you've got to bring a scientific formulaic way of looking at, you know, if you're going to spend money on something, you better be smart about it and you better use, understand your customers and you better use data. And that's what we focus on more than anything else and what the book is trying to teach. So, I'm trying to think through this in my head because you keep saying a scientific approach and I'm trying to think of it in regards to the people that basically control the way that we do marketing, whether we're talking about, you know, Facebook, which could be yep. Instagram or it could be Facebook organic, or it could be Google or whatnot. We're trying to take a scientific approach to something where I don't know, are we in control of the experiment or are we not, we're not in control of the variables that go into the experiment. I'm trying to think it through in my head and think about how you can respond and adapt to continually changing algorithms that you have no control over. Sure. So let, let's just take some of those companies. I, I'll take uh, Coca-Cola, Google, Facebook, and Uber. Coca-Cola does is not a soft drink company. Google is not a search engine company. Facebook is not a social media company. Uber is not a rideshare or, or food delivery company. They are data companies that yeah. also sell soft drinks and water, mm -hmm. have search engine optimization, mm -hmm. have social media. 
and yeah. and and also have ride shares. Like they get it. The the reason that they win the game of marketing every time is because they've understood that they're in the data game first. Yeah. And they they look at their company as a data company first. And so if you are understanding how that you are a data company and not a whatever you say you are, um, then you, it's a totally different mindset and a totally different perspective of how you look at your company. And once you understand your data company, then you, f- you start uh, mastering all the, the things that are going on, whether it's the logarithm changes, whether it's the platform changes. What, what if you knew, if you're in the data company, or you're, you're a data company that let's say sells uh, sweatpants, Uh, what if you knew you've been advertising on Facebook for years, but what if you knew that over the last six months, and this is actually a true statement, uh, the interaction and the conversion on Facebook's platform has gone down precipitously. The lack of trust in Facebook, people don't want to buy things on Facebook anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You may be spending all your money on Facebook. What, What if you knew because you're a data company now and you understand what's happening with your customers, you're understanding they changed their preferences. They're now going to Pinterest instead of Facebook to make more of their purchases. What if you understood that your customers are 70% women and 30% men, but yet you're advertising to all consumers? What if you understood more about your customer and were able to adapt to their needs and their demographics and where they spend their eyeballs and time instead of doing what you want to do. And once you do that, everything changes in your marketing. Interesting. Interesting. I totally get where you're coming from, where every company or every successful company is a data company that offers something else that makes perfect sense, especially in this world. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say is the, uh, so I'm so obsessed with this step. This is step one, right? I'm so obsessed with this step that I went out and found the largest data, um, data analytics and AI company in America. I partnered with them spent a lot of money to get the licensing agreement for that. Um, it's the same. Uh, so we have in our database, 200 million plus American consumers, 550 million plus connected devices. And we track 10 billion decisions, uh, online purchasing decisions every day and a trillion searches. And this is the data that Amazon uses, that Disney uses, that Hershey uses, that uh, TurboTax uses, that a lot of Fortune 200 companies use. And I went to them and I said, well, the big boys don't need it too. Everybody needs it. Small business owners need it. And so I got the licensing agreement. And now that's how we, we do it personally at our company. We work with companies and allow them to look at their own consumer data through our you know, optics and the way we look at this. And it's the same way that the big data companies are doing it right now. We're just giving the, the opportunity. Now, there's a million other ways, and I talk about it in the book, that you can do it without hiring us or paying us. You can do it for free. You can do it this way. You can do it that way. And we, we provide all those solutions, but that's just how we look at it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I, I want to go back to one thing on the political front, because I've never had someone on the podcast like you before. And <laughs> so much of what I talk about is obviously the psychology of peak performance and human behavior. And I am fascinated by it. But one of the things that I oftentimes talk about is negativity bias. And I'm sure you're probably familiar with it, where we just have a preference and we give more weight to negative things than we do positive things. And I think it affects our psychology over time. 
But to put the capper on kind of the political conversation that I'm curious about, and maybe it is just as simple as that negativity bias and we pay more attention to negative information, but when you're marketing a political candidate, why is so much of the marketing based around the negative part of the candidate that they are running against versus the positive of you know, the two issues that matter to the people that you pulled in this circumstance. Can you help me to understand that a little better? Yeah, I'll give you two words. It works. <laughs> I know, but I like, why? So I'm obsessed with this concept. Uh, I've written in both my books. So I wrote a book called Fire Them Now uh, three years ago. Mm -hmm. And and then this book, I do a whole chapter on negative ads. Both books, I write chapters. My third book is going to be about negative political advertising and how businesses should adopt it into their business. Okay, um, but can, can I apologize for interrupting you? But yeah. okay, so can a business? Okay, if it works, can a business apply that in the same way where Uber can just run negative ads about Lyft and McDonald's can run negative ads about Wendy's? Like, so it's our, uh, yeah. So I, there is a way to do it that offends no one and draws deep loyalty and distinctions and breaks through the 10,000 ad a day uh, clutter. And I walk through how businesses do that. So let me, uh, I'll give you lots of examples, but uh, one of the examples that I use in, in the Undefeated Marketing System book is Bud Light and Miller Light. Absolutely are just sledgehammering themselves, right? Um, now, I, I don't teach this for small businesses, but what they've done, uh, if you don't remember this, in the Super Bowl ad of 2020, right before COVID, so everybody probably forgets, but Bud Light came out with an ad that said, uh, no corn syrup, unlike Miller Light and Coors Light, which is owned by the same company, we don't have corn syrup in our beer. Uh -huh. And that is the exact concept of, of the negative. Ad. And so what happened was I wrote a, in my first book called Fire Them Now, I wrote a, book, a whole, whole huge chapter on going negative in corporate America, except every business was uh, utterly turned off by the term going negative. So I'd term the, I, I coined the term comparatizing. So it's like comparative advertising, just combine the words called comparatizing. And it's much nicer, it's much softer, and everybody seems to resonate more with that. So the book, the chapter in Undefeated Marketing System is called Comparatizing. Um, and the reason I write that is because, if, listen, in politics, I can take a sledgehammer to someone's head and still win the race. You can't do that in corporate America. That is not the way I'm talking or teaching. But what you can do, and look, can I give you a couple of examples of what we've done for some clients that are, that are really fun? Yeah, so yeah. we worked with a big apparel company and the big apparel company sold uh, uh, sweatshirts, sweatpants, uh, t-shirts, but I mean, high-end stuff like Lululemon competitor stuff, if that makes sense, okay? And uh, when we went in and looked at their customer data, we found out that their customer hated cheap gym wear, like the stuff you wear and it kind of falls apart and it's loose fitting and all that stuff. They, they didn't mind paying a high price for high quality, right? And so for me, I went, oh, I know exactly who we're going to build a campaign. I want to, I, I went, the owner's like, we want to go negative, but we don't, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to turn off anybody. How do we do it? And I said, I know what we're going to do. So we created a campaign and it was the most successful campaign in the history of their company, <laughs> an eight-figure company. And it was, don't buy your clothes from a shoe company. 
just don't do it. Okay. Are you offended by that? No. Scott? I'm no. Okay. Uh, you're smiling. So you get the concept, not that it's a funny line, but you get the concept. I who, do. Yeah. Who are we going after in that? Um, repeat the line again. Don't buy your apparel from a shoe company. Just don't do it. Oh, you're going after Nike. Yeah. And you're also going after Under Armour and you're going after D the perfect oh, shot is to yeah. Nike, but yeah. it's to the whole industry because you don't name them. Right. Yeah. Um, but by the way, we knew their customers didn't like cheap crap. So which part of their customer base was going to be offended by us going after the big shoe companies? I get it. 0.0. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was the highest performing ad we ever ran for them among men. Men loved it. Um, there was another company. We did a, um, uh, a protein powder company mm -hmm. and we found out in the data, this one's great. Uh, we found out in the data that 72% of their customer base hated soda. How would you know that? <laughs> That's what we can find. Wow. So, so how, I'm like, how would you find that out from a, uh, it's in their purchasing behaviors, um, in, in their search behaviors. Cause we grab their IP address. We're not surveying them. We're, we're tracking their movements online. So okay. yeah, it's, it's scary, but we also do it for good. Right. And so, um, so we found out that 72% of the market hated soda. We also found out 50% of their marketplace was vegan vegetarian. So we ran in the step four, we ran 10 different testing ads of what we already knew would work, but we just wanted to know what would work the best. Mm -hmm. And of the 10 ads the, that we ran, the number two performing ad was the vegan vegetarian. Well, it makes sense. 50% of the market was vegan vegetarian. They, it resonated that we had a protein powder that was vegan vegetarian. Um, but the number one ad that we ran was the anti-soda ad. And here's, if I'm just comparing it to the number two ad, the vegan vegetarian, not the other 10, just the number two performing ad, right? It had a two times click through rate over the number two ad. It had 20% higher conversion rate over the number two ad. And the reason being is that the customers didn't like soda. So we ran a crazy anti-soda campaign, smashing soda cans against walls, doing all these stuff, stop putting crap in your system, eat, you know, take our protein, be healthier, all that stuff. What part of their customer base was going to be offended by that? None. 0, 0.0. Except right. it's the highest performing ad they ever ran in the history of their company. So just look, you didn't know this, but I'm uh, completely obsessed with this concept for doing good, not for doing bad. Like, <laughs> like well, it's interesting because you talk about this and I'm thinking of the people listening, you can either come at it and, and start looking at yourself. Like I am a data company that does X, Y, yep. and Z, or you can look at it. I think of some of the documentaries I've seen, um, what is it? Social dilemma, creepy yep. mind, different things like that. And think about segments I've watched on 60 minutes. Like, Oh my God, they're tracking us. They're watching us all yeah. the time. Well, they are creepy way. Yeah, um, they are. So what's your choice? My choice as so, a marketer is do I want to do it for good or do I want to do it for harm? Right. And I believe what we're trying to do is find deeper connections with customers to for good. Uh, because I think what we miss in society right now is we're seeing 10,000 ads a day. Yeah. Who's really connecting with customers? Who's yeah. really trying to figure out how do we have a better experience for our customer base or our client base? Well, That's what I'm really obsessed connecting with. connecting are the people that understand the data. Correct. Right? That's why they're data companies. Correct.
All right. So this is fascinating, isn't it? It it is utterly fascinating. I could keep you here all day talking about some of these things. (laughs) So as we start to close this up a little bit, um, where would you like people to go to learn a little bit more about you? Let's just start there first. Well, thanks. So if you're, uh, you know, if you run a business or a marketer and you're kind of interested in, in how we look at data, we do have a free data assessment. Uh, so my team will look at your company and then have a, uh, a free call, 30 minute call to understand how you can become a data company, look at yourself as a data company and how it works and what you should think about. And that's at philipstutz.com slash insights. I'm sure you'll provide the link the show notes. in the notes. Uh, yeah, you can, everything else is at philipstutz.com. I write a bi-weekly blog on marketing. Um, I never solicit. I never, it's not a funnel. I don't pitch. Um, and, um, I just write, I, I write for me, I write on crazy data back marketing campaigns and what I see and how I think people should be adjusting their marketing campaigns. So that's a free resource for anybody. Okay. Uh, obviously the book costs, you know, between $9 and $15 and it's 25 years of my experience in learning the system. And that's, uh, where you can go, you know, obviously Amazon or iTunes or wherever to buy that. Uh, and then I, yeah, like I have the undefeated marketing system, uh, the undefeated marketing podcast which is another free resource for people that want to understand how to win the rig, uh, the rig game of marketing. And we, we have crazy guests on there from, I don't know if you know, uh, Cal Fussman, he's literally sure. interviewed yeah. uh, presidents, uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, Kobe Bryant. I mean, he's like one of the great interviews in the world and he teaches you how to get into the minds of your customers or clients. And we've had James Altucher on and we're having Jay Abraham on. So we've got this, uh, a lot of great, um, mega stars in the marketing and business world uh, on that as well. Jeez. And these are all free. I'm giving this away. It's all free. Yeah, that, that's so impressive. So to anyone listening, links for book, podcast, blog, um, free data insights will be in the show notes. Anything else that, because I always like to talk kind of through the information and then what we can do for implementation, anything else that you would have people do in terms of what they can initially think through of making maybe the transition to being a data company from uh, whatever they think they are now. Yeah. I mean, there, you've got to understand the first thing you do in, in any, anything with empathy and connection is about understanding the other person's perspective first. And if you don't understand your customer, then you need to do that. People have asked me, okay, well, how do you do that? And so, you know, there are a thousand ways you can do that. You can survey your customers. You can look at your Facebook uh, data. You can look at your Google analytics, anything that's out there, look at data, get a better understanding and start marketing to their needs, not your needs. As business owners, by the way, um, you know, uh, Scott, we probably, you do this. I probably do this. Sometimes as business owners, we get so caught up in how proud we are into the vision that built a business that all we do is talk about the vision. But what if you understood that your customers or your clients didn't really care about 80% of that? Wouldn't you want to direct your messaging to the 20% that they do care about? And that's what I'm trying to, to, to figure out and trying to help business owners get. Well done. Well done. Last question to close this out. And we'll come back to basically where we started, where your new definition of outperforming is to give and to grow. So what are the last parting shots or words of wisdom that you would like to give the outperforming audience to close up this interview? Oh, man, there's a great quote. Uh, His first name is Jersey, but I can't think of his last name. So you can Google it. 
<laughs> do you know the quote I'm about to do? Ah, uh, you got to give me the quote first. Oh, okay. Maybe I'll know it. Uh, easy choices, hard life. Hard choices, easy life. And I feel like for the last seven years, that uh, has played out in almost every aspect of my life. Uh, hey, let me give you an example. I like to give examples. Um, uh, every day this past week, I've gotten up at 4.30 in the morning and worked out. Had an amazing feeling all day. I'm 47. Feel like I had tons of energy all day long, you know, on and on and on. Last night, uh, we decided to go out and meet up with some friends. Uh, I had a couple of drinks. Uh, I went to bed, had a horrible night. That easy choice, have some drinks. Um, didn't drink the previous nights, right? Uh, I didn't get drunk. I just had a couple of drinks. But by the way, at 47, I had two drinks. I can't sleep. I wake up 100 times a night. And what am I doing in the middle of the afternoon? I'm drinking coffee just to get through the day. And I feel sluggish all day long and all that stuff. So I made an easy choice in the moment. And I've had a hard day all day long. Whereas the previous days, I took the hard step. I said, Nope, I'm not drinking. I'm a present for my family and my kid and all that stuff. And I had amazing days. And that is a metaphor for life. It is a metaphor for everything. Yeah. Amen. Amen. When you, when you do the hard thing, the easy things come. When you do the easy thing, the hard things come after that. Amen. 100%. I can totally relate to that. I don't know who said the quote, but I'm a fan. Uh, it's like Jersey McK McKenzie or something like that. You, anybody can Google it. It's up there. It's a great yeah. quote. Well, Philip, to close this out, um, on behalf of the entire outperforming audience, we want to thank you very much for your time and your words of wisdom today. We appreciate it. Well, I, I like what you're putting out in the world. And that's why I reached out to you and said, <laughs> I wanted to come on your show because I really, really like what you're doing and you're serving other people. And really everything I'm trying to teach is the kind of thing you embody. And it's an honor to be here. So thank you for the service that you give. This is a free service that you're giving to other people. And I hope people understand how hard it is to have a podcast and how long it takes and how much time it takes. Um, so I appreciate the service that you do to help other people as well. Oh, thanks for saying that. I, I am trying, trying to give and to grow as well. So we definitely have alignment in that mission. All right. So to close this out, to all of you out there that are trying to outperform, Wishing you the best of health, happiness, high performance. Philip, thanks again for your time. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, brother. Hello, outperformers. Three more quick things before we sign off here today. First and foremost, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I understand how many different podcasts are out there, and I do not take a single second of your time for granted because time is truly our most valuable asset. It is our most precious commodity, and I appreciate you taking that time and you spending it with us here today. Second, if you found value in this podcast, maybe you've noticed, but podcasting has gotten quite popular as of late. And if you would like to help support the Outperforming Movement and the Outperform Podcast, one of the best ways that we can get it found is for you to give it a favorable review and rating on whatever your favorite podcasting platform happens to be. So head on over to iTunes, head on over to Google Play, and give it a favorable review. And while you do that, also share it with someone else that you know that is just like you, is driven by growth and wanting to be the best personally and professionally in every single thing that they do. Number three, if you want even more 
tools and tips and strategies to be able to be your best personally and professionally, head on over to scottwelly.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. There are loads of different resources for you on everything from goal setting and grit to resiliency and focus, to confidence and motivation and routines and habits and everything that you can possibly imagine to help you be your absolute best every single day, personally and professionally. Once again, if you'd like to access those free resources, head on over to scottwelly.com, S-C-O-T-T-W-E-L-L-E. So as I sign off, thank you again for spending your time with me here today. Keep outperforming and as always, wish you the best of health, happiness, and high performance. Have a great day.